Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show, we got Kelly McDonald. She is the CEO and founder of Kindu.ai, which is a platform that helps you connect and manage influencer relationships. Really, really cool conversation. We just get into you know how to vet influencers, what's important, what you should and shouldn't be doing. I had a lot of fun on this one. But before we get into it, as always, this episode is brought to you by Cave Social. That's who we are. We're a creative and social media agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow online. So if you're feeling stuck with social, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us. You'll talk to someone from our team and we'd be glad to help you out. All right, sit back and enjoy this one. What's shaking my marketing people? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today on the show, I'm excited. I got the CEO and founder of Kindu, Kindu.ai. Sorry, I just we talked about it pre-show and I goofed it right away. <laughs> Kelly McDonald. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to chop it up from looking at what you guys all do, Kindu. But before we do that, I want to hear your story. So take me there. Walk me through that five-minute backstory. I know you've got some stints at real estate tech companies. Uh, but yeah, walk me through it and then how you thought of the idea for the company and and where you're at today. Sure. I mean, you know, I was, I was born on a cold winter night. No, I was, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but really, uh, you know, I think a lot of where we are today, I can directly trace my roots all the way back to grinding it out and hustling through you know, my life really in terms of trying to constantly be looking at different ways to achieve and just iterate on ideas quickly. And then also working at companies that, you know, my pedigree and my background comes from Quicken Loans. So that's where I actually started my professional career and was there during the 2008 financial crisis. Followed that up at a company called Shore Mortgage as well, who's now one of the largest wholesalers in the country under United Wholesale. But, you know, during that time frame when the 2008 crisis happened, you know, there was a big exodus of brokers across the country and, you know, folks who just couldn't get licensed for a variety of different reasons and overnight the industry changed. And a lot of the reasons folks couldn't get licensed was because of like nefarious activities that they were doing that weren't very helpful. And it all changed for the better. I think at the time, none of us felt like, oh, this is going to be easier to do things. But looking back, I think that was the right move for the financial industry. Even today, and this will kind of make sense as we go along to what we do here at Kindu as I talk about that. But from there, I ended up working at my first startup that actually had been a company that was owned by Quicken Loans uh, called My Insurance Expert. I was hooked. I think the startups, I always tell new hires that they take guts of steel to work in because even when you are having the best day, it's, you know, the next day is going to crumble and then you've got to push that rock back up the mountain. And that's the exciting part um, from it. But it does take that you know, endurance to, to get through it. So that was the first place that I worked at that was a startup and that we were selling life insurance there. Then flash forward uh, when that company ended, I did some consulting and I took a job in Tampa uh, at a company called Army 360. And Army 360, the founder of that company, George Villar, was actually 
the founder uh, and the inventor of dinner seminars. And we were utilizing, you know, 200 lifestyle points through Axiom to really help financial advisors target the right folks to come to these dinner seminars and hopefully make investments through, through their services. And it was really an eye-opening year that I spent there helping, you know, out on the sales operations and ultimately the data team there too, to really look at all of the ways that marketing can, data can actually drive marketing to find the right audience, right? And so we were really honing in on zip codes and things like income and other, a variety of other lifestyle factors, like, do you own a boat? (laughs) Those types of things were stuff that our advisors were interested in. Uh, Eventually, I made my way to San Francisco with a company called Movoto Real Estate, where the data and the data science, it's just like my mind was blown at that point with a lot of the opportunities and what we were able to predict on when people were maybe going to be moving or how far was the right amount from to give a lead to a real estate agent. And just like the intricacies of what you could do with this data was really opening up for me in this world. When I moved on from there, I went to Realty Shares where I was a senior vice president of revenue and people. And one of my many jobs there was to also think of how could we get more accredited investors onto our crowdfunding for commercial real estate platform. We had been exploring, you know, influencers for a while with that. And I said, you know, let's go find some. And, you know, we found a bunch of finding the influencers was not the hard part. We could find lots of influencers. What we couldn't tell is if they were real or if they had just bought all their followers. Right. And so as we explored that of like, okay, well, let's, I'm sure there's a company that does this. Let's go use them and have them vet these influencers for us. And when the marketing team came back and said, it exists, but not like you think it should, uh, to me, it was a pretty big light bulb. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's a giant problem that I'm very interested in solving because similar to my belief that the financial markets were created better by getting rid of the riffraff that was in, you know, out there working in home lending. I think that if we could get rid of the riffraff that's in the influencer marketing world, it's going to make it a lot easier for great influencers who are putting in the time and energy and for brands who are, you know, they're going to lose more than $3 million, $3 billion this year in influencer fraud. And so that's, you know, basically how we got to where we are today. Expand on that for me, influencer fraud. Is that just simply fake followers? Uh, it's a variety of different things. So there's a bunch of ways that influencers, you know, find, you know, fake followers, fake likes, fake comments. They participate in things that are called, for example, an Instagram pod. You can think of this as like a Slack channel for influencers to come on and say, hey, here's my post. Now you go like the next 10, right? And so this is all stuff that we catch in our system. We're also looking for just like odd behavior. Like for example, you have 100,000 followers, but you've never posted anything. Like that's suspicious, (laughs) right? And so we look for really suspicious activity and then we deem that, you know, follower real or not type of thing. Yeah, you have to do that too, right? I remember this was like just before COVID hit. So I want to say, yeah, seven, eight months ago. And there was an influencer with 2 million followers. And she was saying, I'm going to have to shut down my clothing line. I can't do another order unless I sell 29 shirts. And she had 2 million followers and she couldn't you know, sell 29 shirts. And I was laughing because I'm like, give me 29 shirts. I'll head down to Santa Monica Promenade and I'll flip those in an hour. Like... so and to me it just highlighted a bigger problem and it's it's great that you guys are there to catch this i'm like 
I'm going to pay you, you know, for quote unquote exposure. I wanted to also drive business results and I wanted to help exactly. my bottom, help my bottom line. Right. Um, has that been, you're hitting the nail on the head there with that for sure. I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that this is a big ocean of, it's a very competitive field that we're in in terms of influencer. There's something like 270 companies in the last 24 months have identified themselves of doing something in influencer space, right? But the vast majority are all focused in more of like a PR or a branding play. I've even had a recent CEO of another firm tell me that they're results agnostic, as in they don't care if you actually get results or not right? <laughs> on your influencer marketing campaign. And it really makes me excited because if somebody else is results agnostic, we're fanatical about the results, right? And so everything that Kindu is doing is to get to that point is the results. That's amazing. And results agnostic, I'm going to bet that CEO is at a startup because <laughs> that's and not a public company. Right. And that's something that we can talk about a little deeper where it's like, we just want users and impressions. And it's like, no, that burn rate's coming. That burn rate is coming. <laughs> like, yeah. Eventually, this thing's got to make money at some point, which is a whole different discussion. That's just funny because I think the results are so important. And I think especially for companies with limited budget, sure, if you're funded to the moon, and you're like, I'm results agnostic. I'm sure, yeah, Pepsi can be results agnostic to an extent, right? Because they know they've put their hand in enough pots that it's going to pay out. But if you are a startup and you, in your, you know, series A, there's a finite amount of spend that you need to put towards marketing and it needs to drive results. Now, whatever that KPI is and whatever that result is can be defined. But yep. for someone listening to this, who's maybe at a startup and they have eight, nine employees, like, right. yeah, result, <laughs> results, results matter, results matter. Right. So in that, in thinking of that, how, you know, that results do matter, are there any consistent KPIs that you all see that you're, if a CEO or, you know, of that startup were to reach out and say, Hey, I want to use this platform. What should I be looking for? Right. There's a million and one data points. What's important. Where would you all guide them? Yeah. So I'd say like the very first thing that's important is that, you know, you don't want to dive into influencer marketing in the same way that you don't want to dive into SEM, right? You can spend a lot of money and get zero results on SEM real quick. And I think we're all aware of that these days, right? And it's very much the same when it comes to influencer. You really need to understand a couple of key metrics for yourself first. So first and foremost, like, can you even tell us what your you know lifetime value is on the product of actually getting someone to buy it, right? I think that's helpful to understand. You know, depending on the types of products it is. And then can you tell us what your landing page conversion is from direct you know, hits to some other type of advertisement that might be comparable, like a Facebook ad or something, right? And if you can't really answer those things, that doesn't mean that we can't help you. It just means like, let's, you know, tailor our expectations around the fact that we don't know what we don't know then. And maybe we should put in some different layers of what is success then. Because if you're only looking for sales, but we have no benchmark of what is good or not, that is relative, right, then. So what we try to really get out of that is like, well, what would it be then if we got you, you know, 200 email signups? Is that a success? Would you be happy there with that? And then really trying to back into what type of influencer you're looking for then, as well as like the type of postings they should be doing for you. And based on your budget, you know, it's a very different budget to have for an Instagram static post 
versus a story versus a YouTube video, right? A YouTube video being obviously much more expensive because of the work of the editing and everything that'll go into it. But I think a lot of brands don't really realize that either. And they just know that they should be doing influencer and want to do it. You also need to be thinking about it at a programmatic way. Uh, like this isn't just like putting up a billboard for one day because you'd get the results in the same as if you just did one day of a billboard, you know? It's so interesting, right? To look at, okay, how do I vet? How do I pick influencers? Should I disperse my budget across 50 micro influencers? Should I get one mega? You know, those are all big decisions to make. And I think you hit a really big nail on the head where it's like you wouldn't jump into SEM just without some professional, no like I'm not going to trust, no offense to Google, but the Google count specialist is not going to help me. I need a professional SEM provider who's going to be able to guide me through that, or I'm going to be lighting money on fire. If you don't believe me, listeners, talk to any lawyer who's ran <laughs> SEM ads <laughs> because their terms are crazy. Compared right. <laughs> or go spend just $500 on SEM today and see what your results are. <laughs> right. You know, without it having any knowledge, you will not have a good, you'll lose $500. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's about it. Right. Now, when it comes to influencers and I guess more so, you know, your company now and, and sitting positioned as the broker, right? Really brokering deals between brands and influencers. Now, when it comes to acquisition, you said you can find influencers. There's a bunch out there. How do you all go about, what are those selling points, you know, those differentiators that you approach brands with to say, hey, come use our platform to find your influencers? Yeah. So I think it starts with the fact that everyone that we're bringing on, we're really looking for in our network that we're going to introduce you to. Uh, the first thing is that Kindu, we start with the audience in mind, right? So the, what we've actually done is we've actually gone out and we've curated the audience based off of who they follow, what they're interested in, what they're looking at. And it's not just as the influencer have a real audience or not, but then we can also provide you with the you know, demographics and the psychographics around the overall audience where we anonymize all the data. So there's no privacy concerns or whatnot with that. But the ultimate you know, factors, we're rolling that up. And then based on your needs, we're saying, here's the 10 influencers that make sense for you. So that influencer that you're talking about, I'm actually familiar with that story, right? Of the 2 million. Uh, I probably wouldn't be in this job if I wasn't. Right? But so <laughs> with the, a great reason. So I actually, of course, I went and pulled her, what we call the Kindex report. And so our reports, you can think of them like a credit score for influencers, right? And so it's a really easy to read dashboard that will very quickly tell you why this person is either good or not for you and your business. And so, for example, in her particular case, one thing I noticed right away was that more than 70% of her audience wasn't even in the United States. So she's trying to sell shirts to people who can't buy them, right? So that was a big factor right there. Then there was like some age range issues that of people who probably don't have expendable income because in her case, they were mainly 13 to 24, right? You know, type of thing, uh, you know, maybe not making enough money or have their own money to spend. So who can actually make buying decisions? And then what were they interested in? So they actually were more interested in things like makeup, um, art and design and stuff like that versus fashion. And so, you know, we can actually segment all of this information out for folks, show that to the brand. And then, you know, often one of the easiest ways that we actually show our value is we just say, who else have you been working with? Let's pull up that influencer live. We look at the report and usually the brand's like, dope. 
now I know what I did wrong, you know, with it. And it's a pretty simple opportunity for them to, to see the power of these reports and what we can actually offer them. More so, we also have the tracking. So as I said, we're really into the results. So really for us, we're, we'll put our money where our mouth is. What we're actually doing is saying, let's follow these people all the way through make sure they're actually driving the conversion for you. And then we can loop that um, feedback back into the next hire. So, you know, for us, it's not really about you getting, you know, one, you hiring one influencer from us and paying our fee for that. That's not going to, you know, keep the lights on. We have to have that long-term business. That's our goal. No, that makes complete sense. And then are any of the mega, you know, influencers, are they reaching out to you for their own Kindex reports? To say what is what is my health status? Yeah, we actually do have some pretty uh, major sports stars, uh, especially on the platform. There, I think like we'd love to have more actor and actresses, but generally speaking, for the majority of like the products that we represent, are more like health and fitness, uh, lifestyle, food and beverage stuff like that. Whereas I think some of the folks that you know we'd want to maybe in the future go after would be more ideal for like beauty, fashion, etc. And it's just a matter of size of the team in terms of what we can tackle at any one point. Awesome. How many people do you guys have now on the team? Uh, there's currently eight of us, including myself and my co-founder. Awesome. Awesome. We spoke a little bit before we started recording, but talk to me about what that transition's been like, you know, going from being in a 500 startups workspace to now being completely decentralized. How has that impacted, you know, overall productivity and growth for your team? Yeah, great question. So I think I should preface it with the fact that I spent the first year of the business alone. I was a solo founder uh, before getting into 500 startups. So, uh, you know, I was used to working alone at some point, you know, myself at that time, but had just really hired the team when, you know, COVID struck and we all had to work from home. The good news is that for my particular team, you know, we are mainly engineers. Out of the eight of us, there's six are engineers. And so one of the big benefits for them is that instead of working that big, loud, open environment, you know, they're actually able to be at home in an environment that is quiet, and they're able to get the work done without constant interruption and, you know, the, the life of the office space. And so we've actually found it to be really beneficial with the amount of work that we can actually execute on. And, you know, in terms of the sprints and the amount of actual productivity that we're getting done is insane. So we're kind of enjoying it, frankly, <laughs> in that case. Definitely miss things like being able to do Friday happy hours, celebrating a, you know, big quarter or something like that. But we are leveraging all the tools that are available to us, like Slack. And we've done a couple, you know, virtual hangout type of things because of that for on Zoom. But we're in touch every single day and we are constantly like just shooting ideas to each other through Slack. And so it's really helpful. That's amazing. And I think that's so important, right, is use the tools you have. And I totally hear you on missing those certain things. Like we signed a client for our agency and I signed them and I'm like, all right. I'm like, I high five myself, I guess. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. yeah, that's the new world we're in. Well, Kelly, before I let you go, let people know, and we got people here who own agencies or uh, are up on, you know, they're in the executive teams with brands. Let them know where they can learn more about Kindu um, and then where they can connect with you online. Yeah, for sure. So first and foremost, kindu.ai is going to be the page you can just jump to and get started there. You can email me directly at k-e-l-l-y at kindu.com. And, um, or you can check me out on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. 
uh, you know, and find me. It's under LinkedIn slash IN slash founder and CEO is actually, can you believe I got that handle? It's pretty crazy, but it was available. Hey, there you go. You guys got that. You guys, listeners, go over, check out Kindu, and make sure to connect with Kelly. I will also put links to those in the show notes. Uh, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. I appreciate having me. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I will catch you next time.